All right, good morning, New Life East. So glad you're here with us today. If you want to make your way on in, we're going to just jump right into worship. You can stand with us. Lord, we come before you. We are, we are so excited to just adore you this morning. We give you our whole hearts. We give you our full attention. You are worthy of our praise. We love you, Lord. Yes, she.
New Life East, we're in the season of Advent. And Advent is truly the moment in time where we look at our surroundings, we look at our lives, and we do, we cry out the words, come thou long expected Jesus. It's the moment where we, we patiently wait for the God of the universe to step in to our midst. I think about the words that Isaiah the prophet wrote as he was declaring what the day would one day look like when God would in fact step into the midst of the lives of God's people. He writes this in Isaiah 26. He says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And he says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. This is the weekend in Advent where we think about peace, where our minds focus on peace. And what's interesting is that when I... someone says the word peace, what our minds tend to do is think about all the places that there are not peace. The war is raging around the world, the lack of peace in your own life. So it's interesting. We rarely know what peace looks like, but we do know what it does not look like. And yet what Isaiah gives us a picture of is, well, we know what peace looks like because it looks like God himself. It looks like when in the midst of our lives and the chaos of all of it, what we can do is have a moment where we say, I surely can feel the ground shaking beneath my feet, but God, if you are there, well, then there must be some sort of peace. I wanna invite you to open out your hands this morning, present them to the Lord. I have a feeling that there are those of us in this room today who are keenly aware of all the places in our lives where there is not peace, in our relationships, in our homes, in our families, in the lives of our kids the financial circumstances of our lives. And if Isaiah is right, then the way we find that peace is to say, come Jesus, come Jesus. We don't have to, because God, you will make your way into our lives no matter that you want, what, you, what we want, but God, we, we open up ourselves to say, come Jesus. If you are the God who is with us in the waiting, who is coming to rescue us, come Jesus. For those who are brokenhearted in this space this morning, would you come Jesus? For those who are saying the words, I don't know how much longer, would you come Jesus? And as you show up in our lives, we pray that you would bring peace and peace abundantly. Jesus, it is in your name that we ask these things. Amen.
Desperate for you, Lord. We're lost without you.
choose to worship, I'm, I'm floored by the reality that we can step into it regardless of if we are in like abundance of joy or lacking any sense of peace at all, we can step into it and we can give God everything that we've got. We trust that he hears us, that he's responding to us. And such is true with generosity. It's funny how like the, the way in which we engage in the life of God is, it's almost irrelevant what we bring into it. What matters is that he meets us and, and matches it and multiplies it beyond the true is of the way that we give. And so this is the moment in our service where we give of our tithes and our offerings. So I don't know if you find yourself in this season feeling like, man, I'm to give anything would feel like, I'm like rubbing two pennies together. I'm like, it's, it's all lack. I have an abundance, but it's abundance of lack. And there are others of you in here though that you look at the financial situation you're in and you, man, you are able to continue to be generous and to pour out of all those things. The beautiful thing about both of those situations is generosity comes from each of them. It's not marked by how much, it's marked by the heart, the choice that we choose to make with it. So if you wanna continue to partner with us in generosity around here, there's four ways that you can do that, whether it's in person at one of the boxes on your way out or it's giving online or even sending in a check. But New Life East, we wanna say thank you for your generosity because we know just how generous you are as a group of people. Um, And I know you guys are hoping that I'm gonna tell you how much was given last week in the offering right now. And I'm not gonna do that little bit more suspense. Just wait like three more minutes. You'll be good. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you've joined us. If you're a guest, we'd love if you would take one of the guest cards that you see in your row, fill it out and stop by Connect Central on your way out. There'll be some volunteers, some leaders out there. They'd love to say hi, get to know you a little bit. We actually have a gift. It's just our way of saying thank you for being a part of a weekend here at New Life East. Uh, Just one quick announcement for you this morning. Um, Christmas Eve, it's on December 24th, as it is every year. We're going to have two services right here at Grand Peak Academy, 2 and 4 p.m., 2 and 4 p.m. We can't wait to see you guys there. Now, why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you? the Lord be with you. It is good to see all of your happy faces this morning. Good to be in the house of God together on this second Sunday of Advent. I am uh, coming in this morning uh, just so encouraged. I actually feel a lot of energy in my body here. I contain it. 
I'm so, uh, I'm just so encouraged by all that God is doing in our midst. So there are some good reports to pass along to you. God, this morning. By the way, if this is your first time to New Life East, welcome. We're grateful to have you. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. So joy to have you in our house. Um, you know that last Sunday, um, across several of our campuses, and the big offering really happened at the North Campus last Sunday, a uh, big and hopefully final offering uh, to pay off the $1.9 million of debt that was still remaining on the North Building. And uh, I am pleased to report to you this morning that every single penny of what was needed came in last Sunday and then some. And so uh, this morning as we speak, uh, Pastor Brady, I think, is on the stage of the North Platform uh, with the mortgage note and a lighter lighting it on fire. And they're having a raucous celebration. But I want to tell you why that's such a big deal. You know, um, I've been here for, gosh, going on, when did we move here? 2017. So... Uh, it's going on seven years we've been here. And in that time of being part of this community, you know, I have seen week in and week out Pastor Brady talking about that debt and getting that debt cleared off the books. And when he came here and became the senior pastor here uh, more than 16 years ago, that debt was $26 million. And nobody at New Life Church even knew that New Life was in debt. And then, of course, 100 days into his tenure, some of you that know the story here know there was a shooting on the campus, and it just looked so unlikely that New Life would survive, especially with that debt. And so now to be sitting in this moment debt-free is just so huge. And we sat uh, in Pastor Brady's office on Tuesday. We have a regular Tuesday meetings, 9 a.m. All the preachers and teachers get together and kind of review the services. And it was such a celebration with him. And we all asked him, you know, like, what? Golly, man, like, you've been here 16 years and like, what does this moment represent for you? And this is what he said. He said, well, first of all, it's such a huge weight off the shoulders and it's a huge relief. But then he said, I actually feel like now we get to do more of what I came here to do 16 years ago. And when you think about all that New Life has accomplished in the last 16 years, that's a really remarkable statement. Like the sentiment was like, I'm not retiring. I'm not hanging it up. I'm not walking away. In a way, well, actually, the message that he's preaching this morning at North is no debt, now what? And this is what he said. Now, without that debt, we are freed up to care for more orphans and widows in our city, to care for more of those who are on the fringes that need to be drawn in, and to reach more of the lost in our city. And so, man, and what a moment for us on Tuesday morning. I just, like, we all kind of looked around the room and just went, it is game on, that New Life Church. Amen? Okay, so now... I know you're dying to know how we did as a congregation. And, um, well, I'll just tell you, uh, I, like, I, my, yeah, I am actually speechless. Like, I had some pretty, I was thinking, I kind of had it, you know, this is like pastor stuff. I was like, okay, if we do really good, it'll be this. If we do like, okay, it'll be this. And then you're like, that's such a carnal thought, you know, get it out of your mind. But you guys exceeded all of our wildest hopes. So $170,000 came in last week. In the offering, $170,000. Guys, that's like, that's like almost 20% of our annual budget came in in one Sunday. And part of what is so amazing about that is that as we've rounded the corner here, we're getting ready to finish out the year, um, none of that came out of the general fund. So it wasn't people like diverting their thing. It was the general fund where we are sitting at right now is actually ahead of where we were at this time last year. And I just said to the whole team, and we talked about this on Tuesday, there is like this surge of strength that's happening at New Life Church. And I couldn't be uh, more enthused to be part of New Life East, actually, right now, 
To me, it feels like we just took the first really significant step into the future that God has for us. And so I say to you, New Life Church, uh, New Life East, I say to you, uh, well done. And I'm so proud of you. We challenge some of you that have been really blessed. Like you've got deep pockets to give and you gave. And we challenge so many of you that you're in, if you're in a season of lack, still give and give generously. And you did that as well. And Jesus says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And as I watched you stream forward, I was so emotional last week because I went, their hearts are in this place. And so are ours. And I can't wait to see what God does with us. Amen? Amen. Let's open our scriptures here. This is the second Sunday of Advent. And the reading from the second Sunday of Advent is here from Isaiah chapter 40, a classic text. And this is a good text uh, given the moment that we're living in here as a congregation. Listen to the prophet. Isaiah, he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare. Everybody say prepare. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and every valley shall be raised up. And every mountain and hill made low. The rugged ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. And so let's pray. We stand in your presence hungry and thirsty for you. We come in always uh, as a divided people, um, wanting that singularity of heart that's spoken of by the prophets. The prophet says that God will give us singleness of heart and singleness of action so that we'll always fear him for our own good and the good of our children after us. We pray this morning that you would help us will one thing, that we would will the manifestation of the glory of God in our midst. The psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. And this morning we come seeking the face of God. We come hungry for the presence of God. We come needful for the bread of life that only you give and the water of life that only you give, we ask that you would gather us up again in your presence. The prophet says, prepare the way of the Lord. Teach us again this morning, O God, what it means, what it looks like for us to prepare the way for the arrival of God. Grant these things, we pray. Help us preach well this morning. Help us respond to the word well this morning. And we pray that the kingdom would break out again amongst us. Grant it. We're asking, we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. First Sunday of Advent, last Sunday, Pastor uh, Rory talked about the discipline of waiting, how so much of our life as believers is spent between the coming of God and the person of Jesus and then that final coming of God at the end of all things that's spoken of in the creed. And so in between there, We wait, and we have a choice to make in that waiting space. We can either wait well 
and allow that process of waiting really to transform us and to soften us. Or we can wait in a way that crushes us. By the way, I told Pastor Rory this. That was one of the best messages I have ever heard for Advent in my entire life. Aren't you blessed by Rory Green? Can we give it up for this guy? So grateful to have a preacher of that caliber, a pastor of that caliber in our midst. But so waiting was kind of the theme of last week. But then the theme this week, so waiting is kind of like a passive sort of thing, right? We're kind of waiting for God to do something. But now the scripture turns, it pivots, and it calls us into a new kind of action as we await the arrival of God. Watch this again from Isaiah chapter 40. We just read, uh, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. What does the text say again there? Prepare. So if week one is about waiting, week two is about prepare. Prepare the way for the Lord, Isaiah says. Uh, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley is going to be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is the plain. And then what's going to happen? The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's interesting. It's like one side of this is we just kind of wait passively. But there's another side of this in which there's something for us to do. And that's something that we do actually sets the stage for the arrival of God. That, uh, that the earth, the people of God, we do something and somehow heaven uh, answers us just like that song that we sang earlier in the service. This is attested throughout the scriptures, by the way. The psalmist uh, talks about this in Psalm 85. Watch this, this dynamic between heaven and earth. The psalmist says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people as faithful servants, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may come and dwell in our land. Then watch this. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace. This is such a great image. They kiss each other. 11. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Verse 12. And the Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Verse 13. Righteousness goes before him and what? What does the text say there? prepares the way for there's something for us to do. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24 as he's wrapping up his ministry, talking with his disciples about how they can ready themselves for the end of things. He says, therefore, keep watch, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 43, if the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. There's a readiness. There's a preparation that we're called to engage in that gets us ready for the coming of God in our lives. And do you know that? Do you know that you can be more or less ready for the appearance of God in your life? So much of the Christian life just is that. It's about making ourselves ready for God. How many of you have ever been over to somebody's house who was like really ready for you? You got invited over to dinner and they were ready for you to show up? Isn't it refreshing? Like it's such a blessing. We were over at uh, Daniel and Lisa Grothy's house this past Tuesday night. All the congregational pastors got together for a little uh, Christmas get-together at their place. And it was so great. We walked into their house, and it was clean. And there were candles lit. And it smelled good. And the island had all of the, everything was like ready on the island. And they had spent the day preparing this food. And Lisa cooked this beautiful hot beef. That was so, yeah, I have like a relationship with eating. It's borderline inappropriate at times, but it was so good. The food was so good. And 
and they were ready for us and we came in and it was just like this beautiful connecting experience and we all ate together and then we gathered around in the living room and we sang Christmas carols together and we told stories about the faithfulness of God in our congregations across this year and then we prayed together and we were out of there in an hour and 45 minutes on our merry way and it was such a composed, brilliant, ready, prepared experience that created the grounds for communion. You ever had one of those moments? Like the people, they were ready for you. Have you ever been over to somebody's house who was not ready for you? You know what I mean? Do you know these people? They tell you to come over at 5.30 for dinner and so you don't eat all afternoon and then you go over to their house at 5.30 and there's trash all over in the house and the place smells bad and they're all like kind of discomposed, you know, and they're still, they're actually just getting in and they're unpacking the groceries in front of you and they go, hey, it'll just be a minute or two and you're not eating until 8.30 that night? Humans do this. And you know what it does? It creates this situation where you're like, I want to like engage with you and have a really nice time with you, but I can't because I'm so dang hungry. And I'm wrestling in my mind and in my spirit with this deep disrespect that you were not ready for me when I came over. Now, if you're the kind of human that does this, I just want to say, don't invite me over for dinner. I'm going to be a really, really bad, really bad house guest. But what's the difference? Readiness. Prepared. My spirit is ready to receive you. My space is ready to receive you. And when your spirit is ready to receive the other, when your space is ready to receive the other, what does that create the grounds for? What happens? Communion. Communion. Presence. And all of a sudden we're connected with one another and it's satisfying in a way that God has designed us to be satisfied in the interaction with one another. This, by the way, is this is like what all of Advent is. You think about one of the great Christmas songs, Advent Christmas songs that we sing, Joy to the World. Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth, I know you know it, receive her. Let every heart do what? Prepare him room. And what happens? Heaven and nature are going to sing. Why? Because we were ready for the arrival of our King. This is what the Christian life is. This is what we do. When we get together on Sunday mornings and we gather in this space, there's all kinds of preparation that takes place for us to come. And we literally set a table here and we light the candles and we make sure the temperature is good. And we're trying to set the stage, not just for communion with one another, but also with communion with God. And, and question for you, church, how much control do we have over the arrival of God in our midst? None. Goose egg. Zero. But God has promised that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, that he would come, he would be there in the midst of them. So what we do is we ready ourselves for God. And in that composing of our spirits, we make it more likely that when God shows up, we'll actually be able to recognize him. Are you tracking with me, church? That's what Advent calls us to do. It calls us to ready ourselves for the arrival of God. So here's a question for you this morning. What does it look like for us to prepare our hearts and our lives for the arrival of God in our midst. I'm going to give you two things this morning, very simple things, but things that we cannot be reminded of often enough. Number one, do you know what we can do to prepare for God? We can pray. We can pray. 
prayer is the great readier of our hearts for God. And all throughout the scriptures, whenever people engage in the practice of prayer, when they get themselves still and quiet before the Lord, somehow what that does is it opens up their spirits to God. There are so many great images of this throughout the scriptures, but one of my favorite images, an Advent image, uh, comes from the book of Luke chapter 1. This is Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And it says, I love this, Zechariah is a priest. And the scripture says that once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense, verse 10. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And what does the text say there? What's the next word? Then, then, then. Just doing all the religious rigmarole. He was chosen by Lot and he was just appointed to go in and start doing this thing and they get everything resident in the incense and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then what does the text say there in verse 11? What? Then. When? After all of that preparation had been done. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense and all of the promises start coming to Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, that they actually were going to bear a son and that this one would go before the Lord to prepare the way for salvation. I, you know why I love this image? Because Zechariah is just doing what was, it was like his duty, what he was appointed to do. And he just kind of gets in there and he sort of does his thing and who knows what his expectation was. But then all of a sudden in the middle of him all just kind of doing his thing, there is this moment where God pops into his experience and the promises are fulfilled for Zechariah. Do you know so much of the life of prayer just is that? You know, we have these ideas about prayer, that prayer is supposed to be like uniformly spectacular all the time. And there's all this like really intense stuff. And sometimes prayer is just this, actually most of the time, prayer is just the simplicity of getting quiet before God and opening the scriptures and inviting the presence to come, inviting the spirit to begin to search your heart and ready your heart. And you just kind of work through it and you begin to offer up your prayers and your petitions with thanksgiving. And it doesn't seem like it's all that spectacular. And then all of a sudden something happens. The presence of God begins to dawn on you. I think we struggle with prayer for so many reasons. And I think that one of the reasons that we struggle with prayer is that in our minds we kind of have the wrong image of what we're supposed to be doing when we get into the prayer closet. So let me give you like three things that we do in prayer that I think subvert this effort. Like I think they warp the experience of prayer for us. Uh, Number one... Uh, one of the things that we do that I think subverts prayer for us is we think of prayer as like kind of just talking to God. You ever heard anybody tell you this? Oh, yeah, prayer is just like, you know, you set up, up your little space and your little time and all that. And you just get in there and you just talk to God, you know. And so you get in there and you try to do that. And it's really, you, you come to understand very quickly that it's very difficult to sustain a conversation with the supreme being of the universe who happens to also be invisible and isn't doing like a lot of direct talking back to you. You're getting like, God, hey, uh, so God, what is up? What's up, Divine G? How's it going up there? You good? You know? You seem to be doing good, I think. I don't know. Um, and you start scratching your mind for like, what else do I say to God? So God, I guess you're big. <laughs> and you're powerful. And you're in, and it just becomes all of this blather. And you can't actually get a foothold in prayer because somebody told you that prayer was just talking to God and so you decided to go in there and you just started babbling at God and it didn't really work. But prayer is not just talking 
to God. It's more than that. But sometimes people like the way they position prayer, this is another place where we stumble, is we think that prayer is kind of this like heavenly customer service department. And so we do our thing and we read the scriptures for a little bit and then we get before God and we just started kind of talking about all of our complaints before God. Oh my gosh, God. (laughs) God, I'm so bothered by this person or I'm so bothered by that person, you know, my wife this or my husband that or my kids this or my friends that. I can't believe that my neighbors, they did this thing. And then of course I asked you, God, about all of this stuff that you were supposed to do and you didn't do this stuff and I don't really know. Is there like a, then there was the one thing that I asked you for that you did give me, but I don't like it very much. And is there like a 90 day money back guarantee on this? Can I send it back? And our whole relationship with God all of a sudden collapses into this sort of complainy kind of thing. And so sometimes we think about prayer as just like talking with God and I think that subverts it. Sometimes I think that prayer is the customer service department. For us, and this uh, really tripped me up a lot in my early years of prayer. Sometimes we think that prayer is like storming heaven's gates. You know what I mean? That we get into prayer and we are now, I stumble, struggle a lot with this because I was born and raised in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition. So the only thing that I knew how to do when I got in my prayer closet was to march around that room praying in tongues at maximum intensity, claiming every single promise under heaven that I could think of. Dear Lord God, thank you, Jesus, that we can, you know, do this and do that. And we cast the devil out of this and da-da-da-da-da. I just blather on and on and on. And I just have to believe that the Son of God was up there in heaven going, Father, if you just give him a couple more minutes, eventually he settles down. And I promise, I promise, God, there's a coherent thought coming. Just give him a second. I can never, like, connect with God. But you know what the problem with all of these visions of prayer is? They're very transactional. So they're like God over there, us over here, and we're trying to make something happen or do something so that God will do a thing. And that's not at all the way that the scripture talks about prayer is not a transaction between us and God. A prayer is about entering into communion with the living God himself. It's about fellowship. St. Theophan, the recluse, 19th century Russian mystic, said this, one of the best images I know of prayer. He said that to pray, oh, I love this. He says that to pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of the Lord, ever present, all seeing, where? Within. Not out there somewhere that I have to go up and find God, but God all of a sudden is discovered in the silence of the heart. But have you ever actually experienced that? Where you finally, there's like this thing that happens in prayer where you start out and you're reading the scriptures and you're doing the thing and you are making the petitions that you're supposed to make and you're saying the thanksgivings that you're supposed to say and the words are coming out and there is a little transaction that's happening there. But have you ever actually experienced that where all of a sudden prayer drops out of the mind and it drops into the heart and now it's not a dialogue of minds with God or just words with God, but it's actually this dialogue of the spirit with God And that moment, that crossover moment that happens in prayer, that's where the presence of God begins to dawn on you. That's where the arrival, remember Isaiah said, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. That you did the preparation of your own heart and then there was this moment of arrival, God. 
came. I remember hearing a story years ago, one of my favorite stories about prayer. CBS news anchor Dan Rather was interviewing Mother Teresa one time. And they talked about everything, her ministry and what was going on in Calcutta and all that. And then Dan Rather said to Mother Teresa, he said, Teresa, he said, "Um, I wanted to ask you about your prayer life. You know, you're a Catholic woman. I assume that you pray. And she says, oh, yes, I pray. And Rather's not really a man of faith. So he says, well, when you pray, what do you say? And she said, I love this. She goes, well, I don't say anything. And he's like, he has no concept of what's happening now. But he keeps pressing on with the question. He's like, well, if you don't say anything, then what do you do? You know what she said? She goes, I listen. Now, Rather is completely perplexed by all of this. What? Because the way that we think about prayer, right, is all the stuff that we have to say to God, but to be in prayer and to be listening. So he turns the line of questioning around and he goes, Teresa, if you're sitting there in prayer and you're just listening, well, what does God say to you? And she goes, oh, he doesn't say anything. (laughs) And he says, what is he doing then? And Teresa says, he's listening. And then she said this to him, If you don't understand what that means, I cannot explain it to you. (laughs) Have you experienced that? God, that's the best place to be in prayer. My absolute favorite place to be in prayer. Where you've done the work and you've prepared the way and you've read the text and you've offered up your requests and then you slip over into the presence of God and all of a sudden, Peter says it in 2 Peter he says that we have the word of the prophets. He's talking about the scriptures. He says we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. <sighs> that we're meditating on the scriptures and we're centering ourselves in the presence of God. And we're saying everything that we can say to God. And then all of a sudden there's this crossover point, And now we are in God's presence and the dialogue of the heart begins, I, I, can, I can almost guarantee that every single person in this room has experienced that at some point where the presence of God dawned on you and all of the traffic that needed to happen between the human heart and the divine heart was happening, but without every, any effort whatsoever. Do you know that that place is accessible to you all the time, every day? You can go there. And I've been doing this thing in my prayer life lately where I've been thinking, because that place, that's the place, some of the great Christian mystics down through the centuries have actually said that that place there is a place of healing. It's a place of renewal. Like some of the traumas that we have experienced in our lives and the things that have fractured us, it gets washed in those places. And you've experienced that. We can go there. And how do you get there? What I've been practicing of late that I want to encourage you to do is the practice of just staying one minute more. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you have 15 minutes to pray and that's great. And sometimes you have an hour to pray. And you do your thing and you get in there and you read the scriptures and you offer yourself up to God and you say the things that you need to say. And there's like this moment that happens in prayer where you're like, I think now I'm done in Jesus' name, amen. I want to just encourage you, try it this week. That when you get to that moment where it feels like in Jesus' name, amen, and you're about to close your Bible and turn off the lamp and head into your day, stay one minute more. Do you remember how Jesus says, would you not tarry with me? It's an old word that we used to talk about in the church, tarrying. It means waiting with God. 
And I can almost promise you that if you stay that one minute more, do you know what will happen? The one minute will turn to two. And the two will turn to three and then four and then five and then ten. And you'll find yourself caught up with God in a way that you haven't in a very long time. And it will renew your spirit. How do we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord? Number one, we can pray. Number two, do you know what else we can do? And I can guarantee you, the longer you spend in prayer, the more you're going to position yourself for this. It's going to start happening naturally to you. Number two, we can, say it real loud, church. We can repent. Watch this from the book of Mark chapter 1. And with this, we'll start taking, making the turn into communion. Mark is preaching the gospel of Jesus. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. He's quoting from Isaiah 40, what we just read from. Go back to that verse. Verse 2, as it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you and prepare the way. Verse 3, watch this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. What does that look like? And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of what? Repentance for the free, a baptism of repentance. Now that is interesting, isn't it? It's an immersion in repentance. And sometimes I think that the way that we think about the Christian life is that we repent of our sins once and then we move on. But I actually think that the Christian life is an immersion into a lifestyle of repentance. And we tend to think that the more spiritual we get, the less we'll have to repent of. But the truth is that the more spiritual we get, the closer we get to God, the more we'll find ourselves repenting all the time. I remember being an ORU student. I went to this Christian college in the Midwest, and there was a guy that got up in a chapel service one week. And he was like, you know, he said, the closer I've gotten to the Lord over the years, the less I sin." And he said, and actually, you know, as you grow with God, what will happen is you sin less and less and less in your life. And he goes, and actually, now that I come to think of it, I haven't sinned in about a week or so. I was like, he's sinning right now, you sucker. (laughs) He's like, and also, I want to talk to all of the people close to you in your world because I think that they will tell a different story. You you right now are plagued by pride and self-righteousness is what you are. As you start examining the lives of the saints down to the centuries, what you'll find is that the closer they get to God, the better they get at repentance. Somehow, we think that repentance is an evil word, but repentance is not an evil word. Repentance is a joy word. Because you know what happens when we repent? When we repent, we're telling the truth about the ruptures that have fallen between us and with God. And the moment we tell the truth about those ruptures, what happens? Communion is restored. And in the restoration of communion is all of our joy. This past week, Mandy and I uh, were preparing to go out. Actually, it was that same night that we were getting ready to go to the Grothies for the dinner. I had a bunch of work that I was wrapping up, and we had not really figured out exactly if we were supposed to be at the Grothies at 5.30 or 5 o'clock. And I'm wrapping up all this work, and Mandy's going, hey, can you check that email and see if it's 5 or 5.30? And I was getting kind of stressed out. you know. And then finally I said to her, I was like, I just have a couple things to finish up. If you just quit ragging on me, I'll get to it. Testify. (laughs) Not a shining moment. So there's a choice to make right there. And what do we usually do in those moments? We double down. And she shot back at me, credit to Mandy. She goes, I am not ragging on you. But there's the choice right there. Do I defend myself in that? Well, it feels like ragging to me. And if I double down, what happens? 
Now we're on different pages about what actually took place in that interaction. And so now we're going to spend the next several hours missing each other and out of sync with one another and out of alignment with one another until Andrew finally gets to the place where he's humble enough to actually name what he did as wrong. And I know this because I've been doing this a long time. And there's a moment right there of opportunity. And I said to her, the moment she shoots back to me, I am not ragging on you. I said, oh, no, you're not. And I'm sorry, there is no justification for that. I was way out of line. Please forgive me. And, she, and you know what she said? I forgive you. And do you know what happened? We made it to today. <laughs> Why do we think repentance is such an evil, awful word? It's not. Repentance is a joy word. In Psalm 51, David pours out his heart in repentance to the Lord. And then do you know what he says to God? He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And some of you in your life right now with this, I'll call the band forward, prepare our hearts for communion here. Some of you in your relationship with God, you know the reason that you're not firing on all cylinders with God is because you've got all this gunk built up that you haven't named. And do you know why your family is plagued with all kinds of chaos? It's because you've got a bunch of stuff. There's junk that you haven't named that you need to name. And the moment you begin to tell the truth about it before God and before those around you, what happens is all of that gunk gets loosened up in your life. And what happens? Communion is restored. Restore unto me, says David, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When we come into the presence of God, like this on Sundays, we can do no better than to stand before the living God and say, okay, God, here it is. And with that church, I want to invite you to stand. Let's prepare our hearts. And I want you now just to think. It's a little moment of examination here. I want you just to, some of you, this has been, it's been a long time since you've done anything like this. But I want you just to re rewind the tape here. Think back to the last day, to the last week, maybe, maybe to the last several months. And I want you just to let the Spirit search you bring to your mind, bring to your memory things that you have done that you need to tell the truth about. And I want you just in your own way to begin to name them before God. And it might be that there are some of you in this room that you actually have things that you have done. There are breaches that have fallen in your relationship with other people in this room. And we're going to come forward to the table here in a little bit. But there's an opportunity for you this morning also to go find those people and just tell them, hey, what I did, what I said was not right. Would you please forgive me? And I can guarantee you what you'll experience is the presence of God breaking into your world. And so, Lord Jesus, here we are, search us. Spirit of God, search us and know our hearts. Test us and know our innermost thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in us. Again, lead us in the way everlasting. We don't want to cover up this morning. We don't want to hide we don't want in our pride to pretend that things are better than they are. We're not going to do that this morning. We're just going to fall before you. We ask, Spirit, that you would search us to the innermost. We ask that you would bring those things out that we need to say to you. And we ask that you would wash us and make us clean, make us whiter than snow as we come. And we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many.
for the remission of sins, do whatever you drink it in remembrance of me. So we say, come Lord Jesus. Your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. We ask that at the table this morning, that we'd be made once again new creations. Grant it, we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite the servers to come forward to serve communion. This morning, as always, communion will be up front on my right and my left. As you come forward down the center aisles here, the server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the juice and take it as you head back to your seat. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, that these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
make of us what you will, as you would turn us into what you will, as you would transform us into living images of Jesus the Son. And so we pray, ready us for God. Ready us for God, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Hey, I'm going to send you out of here in just a couple minutes, but I have one more really important and fun announcement to pass your way this morning. If you got the New Life East Weekly email, uh, you saw that I tucked it in there. Hey, I've got one thing I got to tell you about. So here it is for you. Um, we have been, as we've been assessing the future of New Life East, one of the big questions we've been asking, uh, really two big questions are one, is our current space adequate for who we are as a community and where we're going? And then number two, are we positioned where we need to be positioned on the east side of the city? So we began to pray about that in earnest this fall and also just keep our eyes open for any opportunities the Lord might bring our way. And uh, over the course of the last couple months, we started entering into conversations with the folks over at Rocky Mountain Classical Academy. And some of you might know where RMCA is. It's at the corner of Barnes and Mark Scheffel, about five miles due south that way. And we've got some pictures up on the screen over here, a beautiful piece of property situated right at that corner. And RMCA is about double, triple maybe the size, I think, of Grand Peak Academy with this beautiful, put that next picture up. Yeah, that's gorgeous. But the next one after that, uh, that. So that is the space that we'll be moving into. And that atrium space, you can't quite tell looking at it that way. But you actually, we can seat about 600 or so people between the floor and the balcony in that space. So you can see the stage there kind of on the front left side over there, which allows us to grow significantly as a community without splitting our services again. And so uh, we'll be moving in there officially 
on New Life East's fourth birthday, which is the first Sunday of February in the new year. So we've got about six or seven more weeks here. It's such a beautiful opportunity and a strategic opportunity for us as a community. It's greater visibility, greater accessibility, opens us up more to more people on the east side of the city and is in so many ways just an answer to prayer. And so we're thanking God for that this morning. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to bless you and send you out of here this morning. I know that a whole bunch of you have many questions about what is this and what is this going to mean for us and what do the next couple months hold? And so what I'll invite you to do is if you've got kids in kids ministry, you can go get your kids. You could head to Fellowship Hour, grab coffee and a donut, and then right here at 11.30, so in approximately 13 minutes from now, Pastors Colin Rory and I will be sitting on stools or something, uh, unpacking more of this decision and talking about what the next six or seven weeks are going to look like for us as a community. And uh, so if you have any interest in that whatsoever, just see us right here. Don't tear the chairs down. We're going to need the chairs. And uh, we'll have a conversation about that, and it'll be great. Okay, lift up your hands one more time. And receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you new life east. And may he cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. And also with you. All right, go get your kids. Go get coffee and donut. We'll see you back in here in 13 minutes.